In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're building a -a one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network. The way college basketball is, the state of the game right now, I think personally, and I've heard you mention this too, and will it happen? We don't know. But what are just a couple of practical things that college basketball could do to help players transition either to the pro or international level? Because yeah, the college game is on an island right yeah. now. Yeah, And obviously the pro game and the FIBA game, not that every kid's going to end up in those two arenas. That's really right. not the point. But there could be, I think, a couple of things that are practically done that I don't think would be that huge of a change the college game could do to help kids transition. What do you think, in your opinion, if you're just talking about the direction of the college game? How can you help those guys bridge over a little bit? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things. Let's take the micro and then go macro. Macro is, what can the sport do for these guys? Okay. Micro is, I think it gets back to accountability. Like I was lucky enough to be around, I coached 18 NBA players. As an assistant and as a head coach. And the one thing I did, and this is particularly true at St. John's, where I had five guys in two years make the league, you know, that played. But the one thing, and I felt really good about this, Felipe Lopez, Ron Artez, Zendon Hamilton were three of those guys. And I remember getting back to accountability, I used to tell those guys, you're going to be hard to cut. Like I had a kid, LeVar Postel from Columbus, Georgia, who played for yeah. us at St. John's. And here's my point. I'm doing my job if when you go to training camp, when they're getting ready to cut down and they say as a coaching staff or with the GM, hey, do we keep the kid from St. John's or do we keep the kid from Cal? I want somebody to say, we got to keep the kid from St. John's, man. He's here every day early. He's working on his game. He's a competitor. He makes practice better. And so that was my job as a head coach to Mm -hmm. put him in a situation where playing for me was so difficult terms of practice yeah. that when they got to a difficult environment of trying to make an NBA team that they had an advantage. Yeah, for sure. Almost becoming professionals without knowing it yet. That's right. That's right. The overload theory. I used to yeah. make practices harder than the game. And then they would come back and tell me, coach, we don't even <laughs> practice that hard. I'm so thankful that you got on me for these little things. But that's the first thing. And I think every coach has a responsibility, whether it's getting them ready for the NBA or playing professionally overseas or life in general. Again, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier. Many of the guys I coach came from lower income families. Mm-hmm. And I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And when I coached those guys, more often than not, they were going to be the first person in their family. Yeah. This is 20 years ago, 25 years ago, in many cases. Dickie Simpkins, for example, who I coached at Providence, his daughter just graduated from Harvard. Wow. And, you know, and of course, I had a son graduate from Harvard, and my grandfather came over on a, came through Ellis Island. He couldn't speak mm-hmm. English. My dad was a high school dropout, and I was the first person in my family, and really the only one of my brothers and sisters to go to college. Point being, I kind of felt like I had a responsibility to get everything out of those guys I possibly yeah. could on and off the court. No question. And now, so that's the first thing. I think coaches need to do their job 
and not baby a guy. Because of talent. Yeah, yeah. I think about coaching Ron Artest at St. John's. And Ron was volatile. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> but, and someone said, how do you coach Ron Artest? I said, I was crazier than him. <laughs> I had to be because I wanted him to know I didn't fear him. Right. So he could have crushed me like a bug, okay? Yeah. But I wanted him to know that I didn't care that even though he was one of the top five players in the country coming out, mm-hmm. that I was going to coach him hard. Yeah. And he's told many people since then that he's appreciated that. So you owe that to those even great players who have that kind of talent. Yes. Because you want them to have long, productive careers because yeah. of the foundation you laid for them. So I think that's the micro level. All coaches need to be able to not be afraid to coach their best players. Mm-hmm. And then I that's think from a macro level, I just think there's lots of different ways to become a professional athlete. It's not just the college. It's now we got the G League. Some guys go overseas. I think college basketball, by and large, does its job yeah. getting ready for the NBA. I would say this, however, because I'm watching a lot of film, Alan, of international basketball. Mm-hmm. College basketball talent and coaching is double A baseball. The European, high level European, Euro League, Spanish, yes. the coaching they're getting and the cerebralness with which those 25, 26 year old men play the game. And the skill um, development. And the skill development, that's yeah. AAA baseball and the NBA is the major leagues. Yeah. So we all can become better coaches at the college level, which is kind of what we're all always trying to do. And then somebody like me, I'm trying to mentor these young coaches to be better coaches. Yeah. Let's get into maybe like even rules. Yeah. That would help college guys transition to become pros. Would it yeah. be a shot clock deal? Would it be second uh, clock? Yeah. 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 I think so, because what people who are anti-24 second clock don't understand is that there's a perception that the more possessions in the game, the more talent will win out. Mm-hmm. I say two things. Number one, great coaching will still win out because yes. a great coach will do a number of things. Number one, he'll make it hard for the more talented team to get good shots within that smaller window. Exactly. And the great coach will set his team up offensively in a scheme that's going to get them a shot a little bit quicker than they normally would. Yes. The other thing a great coach will do, will understand that with a low clock, skill development is more important. Mm -hmm. And what we see in the NBA with all these European guys is even big guys at the end of a shot clock can make plays. Absolutely. I think player development at the high school level would be enhanced a, by any shot clock, and then I think mm-hmm. in college, the 24-second clock would be adjusted to quite easily. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And by the way, that will make players mentally quicker in the mind. Yes, because you have to make quicker decisions. So that Common sense. The, the Spurs, Popovich has the 0. 0.5, 0. .5 absolutely. mentality. You know, when you catch it, it you know, shoot, pass, or dribble, and just... No doubt. Oh, I think the flow of the game, it might be a little muddy at first. Yeah. I think yeah. the games would flow faster. So I've been watching a lot of FIBA stuff too, and I agree with you. I mean, I, yeah. I think even though not all guys are going to achieve that level, I just think yeah. that one thing right there would really help yeah. them cross the bridge a little, I, a little, yeah, a little I, yeah, I think processing the game is really critical. And as coaches, it's a hard thing to figure out how to do. Like, how do we teach them to process the game in a quicker manner? The 0.5 is a perfect example. 
Nikola Jokic, the great young center with the Nuggets. I spent mm-hmm. time last summer with his Serbian coaches that coached him before he came to the league. And it was as simple as like in a short roll situation. We're getting a little technical here for yeah. the listeners, but in a short roll situation, when they threw it to him at the foul line area, they mm-hmm. put two shooters in the corner. The coach yeah. was underneath the basket. And if he put a fist up, it was to attack the basket. If it was an odd number, it was to pass it to the right. Yeah. If it was an even number, pass it to the left. Yeah. It was kind of like you see some of those sports training things with the red, yellow, and green lights. Yeah, hand-eye coordination. Steph Curry, you know, Steph Curry does a lot of that. It's as simple as just training decision-making. Exactly. And, and I think college coaches, quite frankly, could do a little bit better job of that, the decision-making yeah. part. In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're building a -a one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network.